0: hi
1: hello and welcome back
0: this is stacy and pete so we don't want to grow up podcast and we're here for some more super fun nostalgic halloween content
1: i love 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 spooky season with you
0: I'm glad you're along for the ride. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I have no choice, do I?
0: <laughs> you don't. <laughs> so, if you're a listener, then you know that we have already covered the first movie in this franchise, Scream, which came out in 96. We had to go ahead and cover its equally as scary, some might say, sequel that came out in 1997, just a year later, Scream 2. <laughs>
1: Some people regard this as the better movie.
0: Yeah, I don't know who those some people are.
1: Yeah, I don't see it. I enjoy Scream 2, but I feel like overall, the first Scream is quite a bit better.
0: I absolutely agree. Yeah, I do enjoy it. I think there are some scary moments. I like some of the cast additions, but other than that, like, yeah, you just can't touch Scream. No. Not within this franchise. You can't do it. Totes agree. But we were talking about 90s horror and how people consider the 90s up until Scream came out to be not a great time for horror fans. Right. Not a lot of great movies. So we were trying to think of any other horror baddies, you know, the villains in the movie, the killers in the movie who are more scary to us than Ghostface.
1: That's challenging. I could say there's other scary villains. I don't know if they're more scary than Ghostface.
0: I mean, Candyman is pretty scary.
1: Candyman is pretty scary. I would agree with that. I'd say he's at least equal. Right. If not at times more scary.
0: And Ghostface was scary for Scream. But then you know that it's it's a person under there or two people, you know, and it's more about just trying to figure out who it is than it is really them being that scary, I feel, beyond the first movie.
1: Would you count Pennywise in this since the IT TV show came out during this time? I
0: always forget that that's in the 90s. That's early 90s, right? It is. I mean, Pennywise is really scary. I Actually, yeah, Pennywise is scarier than Ghostface.
1: Yeah, I'd agree with that for sure. If I rank them, Pennywise in the 90s is probably the scariest for me.
0: Yeah, and there were Friday the 13th and Halloween's and A Nightmare on Elm Street In the 90s as well, but they don't count. Those are 80s horror baddies.
1: They are. What about The Leprechaun?
0: (laughs) (laughs) What about Troll 2? (laughs) So instead of like the villain or the killer, let's just look at these movies. Like House on Haunted Hill was really scary to me.
1: Yeah, that was a good one. That was a good, scary movie. What about Arachnophobia?
0: Oh, I don't know if I watched Arachnophobia.
1: I went to the theater for Arachnophobia. It was terrifying.
0: I know what you did last summer, to me, not as scary as Scream.
1: Yeah, same page on that one.
0: And then you have like, you know, the faculty.
1: What about Misery? You know, I think that's a movie I have never watched.
0: I've never watched it either. I mean, I see the image in my head of Kathy Bates with the the axe, right? Sledgehammer. Sledgehammer. But yeah, I haven't watched it. That's one we should probably watch.
1: There's also The Sixth Sense.
0: Oh, but that's different. That's not like (laughs) horror. That's paranormal. Okay. That's one that's like surprisingly terrifying. You don't go into it really thinking that it's going to be super scary.
1: I feel like it was a scary movie overall.
0: I see dead people.
1: Yeah. Blair Witch.
0: Yeah, Blair Witch was unique in its own right, but it's not one that I have any interest in rewatching. Like that was an experience going to see that in the theater. And not knowing if it was actually real found footage or fake.
1: It's like one and done for that one.
0: Yeah. Plus, it was so shaky. I just feel like it gave me a headache and (laughs) I wouldn't wouldn't watch it again. (laughs) Silence of the Lambs.
1: Oh, Hannibal Lecter.
0: Yeah. He's
1: got to be up there.
0: He's got to be. Flatliners was a good one.
1: I don't think I've ever seen Flatliners. (gasps) Really? Yeah.
0: Disturbing Behavior.
1: Who's in Disturbing Behavior?
0: That's that's Katie Holmes and- James Marsden.
1: Oh, that sounds very familiar.
0: Interview with a Vampire.
1: That one didn't really scare me. I saw that in the theater. I don't know that I was yeah. overly scared of that movie. What about Sleepy Hollow?
0: Ah, uh, I mean, the Headless Horseman is always going to be freaky, but I've been scared of that since I was a kid.
1: Yeah. So, like, the movie came out in yeah. the nineties, but that story is as old as time.
0: Tale as old as time. <laughs> so let's get into the movie. Like we said before, Wes Craven. Kevin Williamson are behind this. So glad they both stayed attached to all of them, I believe. I know Wes was attached to all of them. I'm pretty sure Kevin was as well.
1: I believe, yeah, for the first four. The
0: first four, yeah.
1: Yeah. And Scream 2, he actually had a five-page treatment of it at the end of Scream 1.
0: Right. He was like, this story is not over. I think that's part of how he sold it Mm -hmm. because it was like, hey, this is going to be more than one. You got a franchise on your hands. Yeah. So in Scream 2, we follow Sydney to college. We see a little bit of, you know, what her life is like now. (laughs) We see she does have caller ID because she is screening her phone calls and getting calls out the wazoo of people pretending to be Ghostface.
1: Right, because the Stab movie has just come out. Yep. And it, of course, is increasing interest in Sydney and her story.
0: Right. And the beginning of the movie is... You know, it does take place in a screening of Stab. And it is a scary moment where Jada and Omar's characters, Maureen and Phil, get murdered while watching the movie.
1: Yeah. The kill on Phil is oh, I can't hard watch it. core. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So that obviously causes chaos. And they're students at Sydney's school. And so she comes together with Randy, who's also a student there, and Dewey and Gail come around, and we're basically just once again trying to figure out who Ghostface is as he does come and start killing teenagers, <laughs> college students, right. and people around Sydney and trying to get to Sydney.
1: It's another whodunit.
0: It is. So the cast, we only have four from the original, technically five because Cotton Weary was in the first one, but you only see him for a second. You don't actually meet him.
1: Yeah, you see him on television as he's being put in a cop car, I think. Right. So we have David Arquette returning as Dewey Riley.
0: Nev Campbell as our favorite final girl, Sydney Prescott.
1: Courtney Cox returns as Gail Weathers.
0: Jamie Kennedy as the ever knowledgeable and cheeky Randy Meeks.
1: We get Sarah Michelle Gellar as CeCe Cooper.
0: Lori Metcalf, Jackie, (laughs) as Debbie Salt slash Mrs. Loomis. Uh, Spoiler alert. (laughs) Yeah,
1: big time right there. Elise Neal as Hallie McDaniel.
0: Jerry O'Connell as David Feldman.
1: Raylan Givens makes an appearance. <laughs> <laughs> Timothy Oliphant as Mickey Altieri.
0: Jada Pinkett. Oh, she's not.
1: She was not Smith yet.
0: Smith. Huh. As Maureen Evans.
1: Omar Epps as Phil Stevens.
0: We have Schreiber as Cotton Weary.
1: And Louis Arquette as Chief Hartley, who sadly passed away in 2001. And that is David Arquette's father.
0: Yeah. Dwayne Martin as Joel Jones.
1: Rebecca Gayhart as Lois.
0: The Noxima girl. Yeah. <laughs> Portia de Rossi as Murphy.
1: Tori Spelling as herself and Sydney Prescott, who is a character in the in-universe film Stab.
0: Which is so funny because in the first one, they're talking about who would play Sydney in a movie and someone says Meg Ryan and she's like, but I'd probably get Tori Spelling. Yeah. Like, it's kind of like an insult. So it's funny that they got her to actually play her in the second one. Yeah, it's good. Luke Wilson as Billy Loomis, which is also in the the film Stab, the In universe movie.
1: Heather Graham plays Casey Becker in Stab.
0: And then again, Roger L Jackson as the voice of Ghostface. He's back. He's back. So
1: let's dive into some fun facts.
0: Where's your fun facts song?
1: It's being written. So Paulette Patterson, who plays the usher who hands masks out in the theater, she hands them to Maureen and Phil. She won that role in a contest that was sponsored by MTV. Oh, really? Yeah. I thought that was really cool that they did that. Like, I never heard of that.
0: Remember when MTV used to do all kinds of contests like that? Yeah. And I always wondered if people actually won them and I wanted to hear all about it when they won them.
1: Right. Because what a story that would have been. Now it's just ridiculousness. (laughs)
0: <laughs> so randy references fake nudes of gail weathers that were found on the internet and it was inspired by fake images of courtney cox that appeared on the web prior to production of this movie and she has her little joke about how they put her head on jennifer Aniston's body
1: right <laughs> so most of the outdoor scenes for this movie were filmed at agnes scott college which is outside of atlanta georgia
0: oh not far from here
1: not far at all
0: So there's a scene in the movie earlier on when Sydney is talking to Randy as they're walking to class about the killings on campus and she's insisting that it's another killing spree. You know, it's all happening again. Mm -hmm. And at that point, Randy switches to an English accent for the rest of the scene. I don't even know if I've noticed that.
1: I don't know that I did either. I think... Reading this, I'm like, I guess he did switch to a English accent all of a sudden.
0: But Jamie Kennedy was on a podcast recently, and when he watched it, he was dying laughing because he admitted that there was no reason why Randy would have suddenly switched accents like that. <laughs>
1: it's like, <laughs> why did you do that? Huh? It's then... weird
0: that Wes didn't correct him on it.
1: Right. Maybe everybody thought it was funny. I guess so. So on the casting front, both Reese Witherspoon and Alicia Silverstone were considered for the role of Cece, which makes a lot of sense.
0: It does, except that was such a small role. Yeah. Like, I thought it was fun that they put Sarah Michelle Gellar in there because she was also starting out in horror movies as well. I know what you did last summer had just come out right before.
1: Mm -hmm. So also on the casting front, Toby Maguire was reportedly offered the role of Mickey. Oh. Which, you know, Timothy Oliphant plays that character and is the killer. But that would have been an odd fit. I wonder if he was actually offered it or if he just auditioned for it.
0: I don't know. Okay, we actually learned about this when we were watching the documentary about Scream, but Wes Craven had had a lot of trouble getting the first movie through censors. He had to submit it eight different times before the MPAA gave it an R rating.
1: Yeah, they were slapping a NC-17 rating on it.
0: Right, which nobody wants if teenagers can't go see that movie.
1: Right. It was crazy, too, like the reasons that they had and like the cuts that he had to make. There's like listings of it. It's like, well, when the cameraman dies it's too realistic and disturbing yeah and wes is like well it's a murder it's supposed to be And but it's like all these other things that were so small that you can actually watch now in the uncut version i don't even notice that they're not there anymore right or that they weren't there in the original
0: there wasn't supposed to be like moving blood yeah and things like that which you never think about because i'm like isn't there always moving blood in a horror film but maybe not
1: and why does that matter That's weird. So silly.
0: But to avoid this for Scream 2, he submitted a version that was more violent than he actually wanted it to be with the hope that they would demand cuts and then the real version that he intended would pass. However, this time, the MPAA went the other way and passed the bloodier version with an R without demanding any cuts.
1: And he's like, oh, okay. well, that was easy. (laughs) It's so weird, too. I wonder if like. The people change in the MPAA. I don't know anything about the MPAA. So I don't know if it's like a set board or a group of people or what. But it's weird that he couldn't get that first one through and the second one passed through with flying colors.
0: And I could see if it had been several years later because, as always, people become more lenient yeah. to things as time goes on. But this was just a year later. It right. probably wasn't even a year from when they started filming. Mm-hmm. So
1: I thought this was funny. Matthew Lillard actually makes a very small appearance. In this movie, it's during the sorority party scene. And if you look behind Lois and Murphy later on in that scene, there's a dude with bleach blonde hair and glasses. And that's actually Matthew Lillard.
0: Yeah, we paused it and I was like, oh, my God, it is him. I never noticed that.
1: I guess he had visited set and they let him come on as an extra. That's so fun. Yeah.
0: Stu's alive. (laughs) Stu made it. My mom and dad are gonna be so mad. (laughs) So Kevin Williamson, who is also the creator of Dawson's Creek, named the Rialto Theater after the theater in his hometown where he watched horror movies growing up. And also in Dawson's Creek, there's a theater called the Rialto.
1: That's so much fun
0: because I've noticed it this last time that we watched it, and I was like, hey, that's the theater in Dawson's Creek.
1: So Phil's death in the beginning of the movie that I mentioned earlier that was improvised by Wes Craven. In the script, Kevin more or less says. Phil enters the bathroom and Wes makes it scary. (laughs) So Wes just kind of came up with it and she's like, oh, here's how we'll kill him.
0: Ugh! and that was definitely at the time unique. I don't feel like you were seeing a lot of stabbings through doors. Yeah,
1: that was rough,
0: especially a bathroom stall.
1: And Omar's face, the surprise on his face, like what just happened is such a good little bit of acting. Mm -hmm.
0: So apparently in both Scream 1 and Scream 2, Dewey was not supposed to survive.
1: Which makes sense because it sure looks like in both he has been killed.
0: Yeah, especially in Scream 2. Yeah. We were like when we just watched it, we were like, you know, it's the next morning when they're wheeling him out to the ambulance and you're like, he would have bled out by now.
1: Yeah, like how did this dude survive?
0: Like at least in the first one it wasn't that long before he was being taken to the hospital. Right. But yeah, I don't know. He's just he's a survivor. I'm not <laughs>
1: But like Wes decided after they were done filming those scenes, he's like, hey, let's just film something where Dewey survives just in case. And they did that both in Scream 1 and in Scream 2. Smart. Yeah. So David obviously is thankful for that, I would think.
0: Well, yeah, because now he gets to be in Scream 5. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Favorite moments. You want to go first?
1: I'm going to do it. So Gail's scene where she's running through the recording studio and Ghostface is chasing her and it's like a cat and mouse mm-hmm. and she's narrowly avoiding him. is so tense and so well done. I love, love, love that scene.
0: That is a great scene because even though I know how it ends up, I feel myself tense up every time.
1: Yeah. And you got like the soundproof glass. So Dewey can't hear her when, you know, Ghostface almost kills Dewey. Such a well thought out scene.
0: I love the soundproof room. Mm-hmm. That makes it interesting.
1: And my second one, Randy's death scene.
0: Oh, that's brutal.
1: It is so violent and brutal, but the build-up to it is great. You know, you've got Randy on the phone and he's talking to Ghostface and then starts like insulting Ghostface, and that happens to be Mrs. Loomis at that time.
0: Well, and he's insulting Billy. Yeah.
1: And he's insulting Billy. And right after that, Ghostface yanks him into the van and then I mean,
0: we don't actually see his death, but you see the aftermath of his death.
1: Yeah. It feels very violent.
0: Right. Yeah. You can see the movement of the van and you see blood spatter and everything. Right. And that's sad because, you know, it's like if somebody's Randy's such a lovable character and he made it to the second one, like you don't want to lose him.
1: No, I was shocked that they actually killed him. Mm -hmm. I remember like when I watched this the first time, I was like, wow, I I really didn't think Randy was going to die.
0: Yeah, I didn't either.
1: And number three, the whole opening sequence of Scream 2. In the movie theater, the crazy crowd, you've noticed that and mentioned it like, I don't think this is a theater that you would have gone into just because of the crowd.
0: It makes me anxious just watching it because you have all these people wearing the costume and waving fake knives around. I just don't trust people. Well, and especially at that time, you know, Scream really did change things up where I started to realize that normal people that I know could be this psychotic. Right. You know, and I was just, yeah, definitely. I mean, I still go see horror movies in the theater, but definitely makes me anxious.
1: The closest I've ever seen to this was Star Wars. I can't remember which one it was. I think it was The Phantom Menace, but it was a madhouse. And they were actually like giving stuff out in the theater. It's the only time I've ever experienced that. It, of course, wasn't as scary as this. But yeah, this was quite the mood in the theater. And then you couple that with the kill in the bathroom and the epic death scream and scene by Jada Pinkett at the very end of this scene. Just overall, wow.
0: And nobody knows it. You know, nobody knows that she's actually being killed because of all the chaos that's going on. And it takes her going up in front of the screen for everyone to notice. Mm -hmm. And she has this very dramatic death scene, you know. And my number one is when Derek, Jerry O'Connell, has his Top Gun-esque moment where he serenades Sydney in the cafeteria. Mm -hmm. And he's singing...
1: I, think I love you. So what am I so afraid of? I'm afraid that
0: I'm not sure of. love there is no cure for. I, think I love you. Isn't it's just a moment mean? in movies that I love. You know, Heath Ledger also did it in 10 Things I Hate About You. Nobody's ever going to go wrong with that in my eyes.
1: It's quite the move.
0: Yeah, and it's a very vulnerable moment because, I mean, and his face was red. And I wonder if Jerry actually was, I mean, he's a very charismatic and vivacious person so i can't imagine that he actually was embarrassed but he looks embarrassed
1: he does and i mean maybe his face is red because he's singing and he's like pushing but it also does look like maybe he's just a little uncomfortable
0: yeah he's also jumping around from table to table so it could just be that yeah <laughs> i just think that's a, a nice light-hearted moment in the middle of a horror movie and i love it number two this is not light-hearted It's when Sydney and her roommate Hallie are trapped in the back of the police car when Ghostface is driving it and he wrecks it. (laughs) And the only way that they can get out is to pull out the divider between the front and the back seat and crawl through. And they can't get out on the passenger side because it's like up against a wall or barricade or something. So, you know, Ghostface is, we think, knocked out, knocked unconscious, and they just have to risk it. crawling across his or her lap and out the window
1: it is so very
0: tense yeah and they don't rush it Mm -mm. because you wait with bated breath as sydney does it first and then hallie does it and i actually forgot for a second because i kept thinking he got her then Mm -hmm. but she actually makes it out without him waking up or her and they're safe and they're heading away But then Sydney decides that she wants to go back while Ghostface is unconscious. She wants to go see who it is. And so as she's heading back to the car, she realizes that Ghostface is not there anymore. And then just in time to look down the road and see Hallie being murdered by Ghostface.
1: That's all Sydney's fault.
0: Yeah, that one kind of is Mm -hmm. because they could have taken off and maybe Hallie could have made it. Right. But that's such an intense nerve wracking scene.
1: It is. And it's funny, like when Sydney is walking back to the car. You can obviously see there's nobody in the driver's seat anymore.
0: But she doesn't realize it until she gets right up there.
1: Right. I'm sure that was a moment in the theater where everyone's like, no, (laughs) there's nobody there. There's, you know, you just know Mm -hmm. that people are yelling at the screen Mm -hmm. at that point.
0: And number three, it's another fun moment. I love the classroom discussion that's happening close to the beginning of the movie where Randy is in there. And then that's where we meet a lot of the new people. But you also throw in Joshua Jackson. A.K.A. Pacey Witter. Pacey. And it's funny because this is actually before Dawson's Creek. Is it? Yeah, Dawson's Creek started airing in 98. But I wonder if they were already filming because he looks very season one Pacey there, his haircut and everything. Yeah. So maybe they were already filming and Kevin decided to use him because everybody knew him because of Mighty Dex at that point. Because you don't see him again, but you see everybody else again. Right. And he has lines like he's a part of the discussion. I was surprised that we didn't get like a death scene of him because you do with, you know, Sarah Michelle Gellar and everybody else.
1: He got shortchanged. I wonder if they had to cut it or something.
0: Maybe. Or maybe he just only had time to be there for one day or something. Yeah, maybe. But they're talking about movie sequels and that back and forth is just fun because obviously they're sitting in the middle of a sequel Mm -hmm. as they're discussing it. So, again, it's another thing where. It's a movie that's looking at other movies, but also looking at itself. Yeah.
1: I love that this series does that. I do too. All right. HMs. I'm going to go first. Okay. When Cece is running upstairs rather than out the front door.
0: Oh, yeah. I
1: just love it because, you know, that is it for poor Cece. And he, you know, Ghostface chases her through the house. They end up at the top and she gets chucked off the balcony. But (laughs) it's just I enjoy that chase through the house. And, you know, her death was well done.
0: (laughs) Yes. I also like how at the beginning of that, when she's on the phone and she's she's talking to a friend and she's talking about Party of Five.
1: Oh, that's right. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It's
0: a little nod to to Nev's other job. My HM, the romantic in me, loves the moment where, you know, Gail has made it through another night like this and she's getting ready to start reporting on it. And suddenly they're wheeling Dewey out and he's alive. And she realizes he's alive and she just drops her microphone and runs and she's like, I'm going with you. And she just jumps in the ambulance with him and takes off. So, you know, then you could already kind of tell just the way she looks at him that she's in love yeah. with him just as much as he is with her. So I love that moment.
1: It's a very sweet moment.
0: Very sweet.
1: OK, another H.M. for me is Derek's death. Ghostface. Well, I guess at this point. Mickey has revealed himself to be Ghostface, or at least one of the Ghostfaces, but he's framing Derek, who's tied up on one of the props on stage.
0: Where the, you know, Sydney's involved in drama.
1: Yeah, she's in a school play.
0: And this is a part of it. And so Sydney is standing there with him, unsure.
1: Yeah, she doesn't know now because Mickey's accusing Derek of being his accomplice, and Derek's like, "Sydney, do not believe him. But in the end... Derek is unfortunately proven right when Mickey shoots him. I just thought that was so brutal. Like him being tied up there and Sydney having to realize that he was telling the truth at that point. It's very traumatic for poor Sydney, but it's a great scene.
0: Yeah. And then this is a moment that I both love and hate. I really don't like all the drama stuff. Mm -hmm. I just, it just takes me out of the movie. You know, when we see Sydney in rehearsal and stuff, it's just very dramatic and there's a lot going on. And I understand that you add to it because she starts seeing Ghostface amongst all these other things on stage and freaks out and everything. But I'm just not a fan of all of that.
1: No, it's too dramatic.
0: Yeah. But I do like how Sydney ends up using all of that to basically beat mrs loomis Mm -hmm. in the end and i also dig how cotton ends up saving the day
1: he does after a little convincing
0: yeah he considers it. i think for a second you know he considers what mrs loomis is trying to sell to him you know wanting to take out sydney but he doesn't in the end
1: he does make the right choice in the end
0: and he's been questionable throughout the whole thing like you do wonder if he is ghostface because he's obviously bitter at sydney because she put him away mm-hmm. he's been in prison although it was only for a year relax <laughs>
1: <laughs> if i was in prison for a year i don't know that i would have relaxed
0: but it's not like he's been in prison for 20 years you that's know what true. i mean yeah and you know she was upset her mother was killed and he was framed so it's not a surprise that they would think it was him
1: yeah and that's not sydney's fault
0: no that's Billy and Stu's fault.
1: It's also not Cotton's fault, but he is a bit of a lunatic.
0: Yeah, like he needs to back up off Sydney. It's not like she was being untruthful. Right. You know, she really believed that he did. And she has every right to want her mother's murderer to get put away. But she does genuinely feel bad because she did get it wrong and she did send him to prison. And I like how, you know, he just really wants her to join him for a Diane Sawyer interview. He wants the fame. He wants all of that. And she doesn't want to do it. But in the end, when everybody's coming to interview her, she turns all the cameras on Cotton. She's like, there's the real hero. You need to talk to Cotton. And you see him kind of give her a look like, thank you.
1: Yeah, he's so excited at that point.
0: Mm -hmm. It's like, here's
1: my 15 minutes of fame.
0: Yep. All right. So I guess we have to save Scream 3 and 4 and 5 for next year. We do. Or who knows? Maybe we'll do 3 and 4 before 5 comes out in January.
1: They always come out around Christmas so we could do them for Christmas. (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> Merry Christmas, Sydney. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So this came out in 1997. My song from 97 is Bittersweet Symphony by The Verb. Cause it's a symphony
1: that's meet,
0: Never gets old just makes you feel good. This song just has its own special feeling to it that I can't really compare it to anything else.
1: Yeah. It's to me a timeless song. Like I have never gotten tired of this song. This is one that I probably would have picked if you hadn't picked it.
0: Right. It always makes me think of Cruel Intentions. (laughs) And at the end of one of Justin Timberlake's tours, he always ended the night with this song. Like as he was saying goodbye to everybody.
1: Would he actually perform it or it was just playing? No, it was just playing. Okay.
0: But it just makes me think of that too. I just always like to associate songs with other things that it makes me think of. So there you go.
1: Perfect. <laughs> All right. My song from 1997, Karma Police by Radiohead. Car- So this was a time that I was really getting into Radiohead. Mm -hmm. And this song is, of course, my favorite on the album. It's probably the most famous from the album as well. But it's just so haunting to me overall from a melody standpoint. I I just really enjoy what they did with this song. Very good. All right. We've done it again.
0: We've done it. Stay tuned for more spooky content. So if you're not already following us on Instagram, you can find us at We Don't Want to Grow Up Pod. You can join our Facebook group, which has changed names. It is now called the Cozy Club fans of We Don't Want to Grow Up. We're slowly growing over there. We have some great mods, Joanna and Stephanie, that are helping us out, starting conversations. So come over there. It's a good time. It is. We're on TikTok at We Don't Want to Grow Up. You can email us at We Don't Want to Grow Up at gmail.com. If you'd like to help support the podcast and all of our other endeavors, you can become a member of our Patreon, which you can find at patreon.com slash We Don't Want to Grow Up there you can gain access to bonus episodes and soon to be extra content another way you can support us is by giving us a five-star rating if you listen on apple podcast and leaving us a nice review you may listen on other platforms and maybe there's another way that you could rate us or review us there so if there is please do so those numbers do matter so if you could do that we would really appreciate it also you could help spread the word by sharing about it with your friends and family and on your social media platforms with your followers See y'all later. See ya.